Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. This morning we have a talk from Mike Pilavarchi. Mike leads a church in Watford and pioneered a youth festival called Soul Survivor, which has had a massive impact on tens of thousands of young people's lives. A couple of years ago, I spent some time uh, interning at Mike's church, Soul Survivor Watford, and spent time traveling with Mike as he went to different countries to preach at different churches and to minister to them. Mike is a brilliant communicator and he's passionate about churches and followers of Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I hope you really enjoy his talk and you're challenged by what he has to say. Anyway, I love, I love the story and I love the story of God coming to a bunch of broken people who were tired of religion and uh, uh, a small group of them just got together to sing songs to Jesus and they cried and they were embarrassed and so they closed their eyes so they wouldn't have to look at each other. And, uh, and out of that came something wonderful. Um, and, uh, uh, and I believe with all my heart that God hasn't finished by any means with the vineyard movement. And what I detect is, is around the world, in the, in the different areas, there's a new move of God's spirit happening uh, that is beginning. And it's a joy. Uh, it's a joy and a delight to see it. Um, I'm with you guys tonight and then two sessions tomorrow morning. And what I thought we would look at tonight um, was one of the things uh, that I I just, I want to spend the rest of my life, um, however long I've got left, just um, encouraging the church of Jesus into, which is to be naturally supernatural. And uh, this is, I know this is like what we would say in England, selling coals to Newcastle. Um, or selling ice to Eskimos, uh, but it's like it's uh, preaching to the choir. Uh, but I want to say it anyway, uh, because I want to remind us, I want to remind you of your heritage, and I want to remind us of God's mission for us. And it's not about a heritage, it's not about us, it's not about the vineyard, it's about the kingdom of God. And it's about the lost and the broken. And it's about those who don't know him and who have no hope in this world. And who need to see the gospel and touch the gospel and feel the gospel and not just hear the gospel. I believe preaching the gospel of Christ and him crucified is important. But it was more than that. The Lord Jesus was good news. That's why they listened when he said good news. And I want to begin, if I may, with a negative, um, a, 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 a not nice story. Um, years ago, in a different century, uh, when I was 20, 19, and a student at, at Birmingham University, there was a, um, a healing evangelist, an international healing evangelist, came to England and came to Birmingham. And he set up shop in a big building in the center of Birmingham and there were thousands that came over the nights and I my friends and I we went to one evening and uh, I sat near the back and I noticed two rows in front of me there was a guy in a wheelchair and he had no legs 
and he had shorts on so you could just see his stumps. And uh, then the worship was lively. Um, There was the the healing evangelist uh, preached loudly, powerfully. Um, People seemed to be healed, and I think genuinely people would have been healed. Uh, Stuff was happening. And then just before the end, he said, now there are a number of you here in wheelchairs. And what I want you to do, I want you by faith to get out of your wheelchair And I want you by faith to begin to walk. And as you do that, God will reward your faith. And then as I sat there, I saw this man's two friends on either side. They lifted him up by his armpits. And I sat there and I watched as this man frantically moved his stumps faster and faster and faster in a frantic attempt to by faith begin to walk. And after quite a long time, he was exhausted. His face was going red. There was sweat on him. And he was, I could see he was exhausted. And then the meeting finished in a, it didn't really finish properly. It just tailed off. And this man's friends, I sat there and I watched them. They were embarrassed. And they put him back in his wheelchair. And then people started leaving. And his friends left him. And my friends left, but I sat there two rows behind and I couldn't stop looking at him. But I didn't have the courage. To this day, I regret that I didn't have the courage to go up to him. But I watched him as he sat there recovering his breath and then staring at the ground. And then after quite a while, he shrugged his shoulders and he started to wheel himself away. And to this day, I wish I'd gone up to him and sat with him and held his hand and said, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how precious you are to him? Do you know how how he would never treat you like this? And I made a vow that day. And the vow I made to myself was, I will never, ever, ever get involved in anything as ugly as that. Because that, my friends, was not Jesus. There may have been power, and there may have been the power of God, but the kindness, the tenderness, the gentleness, the sensitivity, the the mercy, the compassion of God was missing. Jesus would never do that to a human being. He would never do that to someone. He would never use them as 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 an object and then leave them. And, and the, the Jesus I read in the Gospels is so compelling because what he used to do all the time is, do you know what he used to do? He used to see the one in the crowd. He noticed the one. He felt the touch of the one woman who was bleeding, who'd been bleeding for 12 years in the crowd. <laughs> he saw little Zacchaeus up the tree. When all the important people were at eye level, the mayor, the chief of police, the reception committee was there. But he saw Zach, who was hidden away. He stopped outside a town of Sychar. Jesus' evangelistic strategy when he came to Samaria was not to hire the biggest building in Sychar and hold a Jesus Christ miracle healing crusade. He stayed outside the town for the one broken, sex-addicted woman who was on at least her sixth guy. And he treated her with dignity and respect. 
and he loved her and he cared for her and even when he revealed her secret sin he did it with such grace you are right when you say you have no husband you have had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband you are quite right in what you say only Jesus manages to reveal sin and at the same time affirm the sinner. How he does it is amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. It's stunning. And through the one outcast, a whole town turned to Jesus. The honor of being the first ever evangelist to Jesus belongs to a sinful Samaritan woman who'd had five husbands and was on her sixth guy, at least. I love that. There was the time, it's so tender, when the religious people, they, they brought this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. In the very act, it says. In the very act. That probably means she was naked. And they dragged her to make a religious point. They dragged this woman and put threw her down in front of Jesus. And they said, it says in, in the scriptures, it says in the Torah that we are to stone a woman who is caught in adultery. What do you say? And they didn't care about her and they didn't care about morality. They just wanted to catch him out. And Jesus said, yep, it does. That's right. Off you go. And then he said, but let the one without sin throw the first stone and then he starts writing in the ground and no one knows for sure what he was writing but most theologians and I think I, I think almost certainly maybe he was writing their secret sins because one by one they dropped their stones and they walked away and then Jesus looks up and he says is there no one left to condemn you woman and she says no one sir and then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, do you know when he said to her, is there no one left to condemn you? And when she said no one, she was actually utterly wrong. Because there was one left to condemn her. The only one who had a right to condemn her. Because he was the only one without sin. And the only one who had a right to condemn her chose not to. And don't you find it, I find it amazing that that story down the centuries has been known as the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, when surely it should be known as the story of Jesus and the men caught holding stones. Surely that was the point. That was the point. That was the point. And Jesus throughout, throughout, he, he would just, he would just pour himself out for individuals there was the guy i love this story in mark 5 um, who had the legion of demons and he lived in the hills and he lived in the tombs if you lived with dead people if you could live with dead people and he would scream and he would torture himself and 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 they tried to chain him but he broke the chains and he would cut himself and he interrupted jesus's revival meeting there he was, and this, this crazy came in. Ah! And just, it was horrible. And, 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 and what happened was, what did Jesus do? If that happened here, 
If that happened as I was speaking, if a crazy naked guy came in, I mean completely naked, ah, with a legion of demons and started disrupting this meeting, do you know what I would do? I would look down at Fleming. And, and I, no, no, and I, would go, and I would go like this. And then Fleming would look at the guys in the yellow, where are they? Who've gone for tea or something. The guys in the yellow jackets, and he'd go. And they would come to this man, and they would say, excuse us, good sir. Could you just come with us? And we'd just love to have a little conversation with you round the back. And they'd take him out, and they'd take him round the back, and they'd kick his head in. Because that's what we do to people who disrupt our meetings. Not many of you know that. (laughs) Do you know what Jesus did? He didn't give Peter and John and James and Andy a little deal with him. He stopped the whole meeting to talk to the one crazy. He stopped, and it was even worse than that. The crazy had a legion of demons, so Jesus cast them out, and he put them in a herd of 2,000 pigs. That's at least 2,000 demons, one for each pig. And, And the pigs started running down the hill into the Sea of Galilee. Do you understand what happened? The crowd, there were farmers in the crowd. It was their flipping pigs. They were standing there looking at their pigs running into the Sea of Galilee and drowning and bobbing away on the water. Jesus destroyed the economy of the region of the Gerasenes. House prices were plummeting in the region of the Gerasenes. There were no barbecues for years in the region of the Gerasenes because of one crazy guy. No wonder they came to him and they said, um, um, hello, sir, uh, excuse us, but um, um, thank you for coming, but could you get in the boat and leave? <laughs> he ruined a ministry in a whole region for one guy because that's his nature. There's a little story at the end of... Oh, hey, I didn't look at what the time was when I started. There's a little story at the end of Mark chapter 1 that I love. Just a few, a few, a few sentences. Uh, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In my Bible, the NIV, which is the nearly infallible version, it says, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now some translations have where it says Jesus was indignant. They, it, they have Jesus had compassion on the man. But you know, I've done a little look at this. The earliest manuscripts have Jesus was indignant. And I think a lot of the translations, translators are, are like I was. What a strange thing to put. Jesus was indignant. What does indignant mean? It means he was offended. It offended, he was put out. Why, why would he be indignant? A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was offended, indignant, upset. I am willing. 
he touched him, be clean. Do you know what I think now was going on? I think it was something like this. The man comes on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If I'm willing, if I'm willing, there are bits dropping off you. You are in utter agony. You have to ring a bell so that normal people keep out of your way. You are a social pariah. You have no social life. You have a life of misery. You are deformed. Your self-image must mean you should have counseling for months. If I'm willing, if I'm willing, you and I clearly haven't met yet. Of course I'm willing. Of course I'm willing. Be clean. And that's the bit we need to understand. It's not our great faith in him. It's his great love for us that causes him to move in power. It's his tender mercy. And it's when we understand his tender mercy, his deep compassion, that that he wants to meet with people. He wants to set people free. His mission has not changed. And he doesn't do it, he never, he did, you know what I love about our saviour? He didn't do it by making himself bigger to impress us. But by making himself smaller in order to reveal his tender love for us. Isn't that amazing? And just turning to another, another story really quickly. I've been fascinated for years with the story of Moses. And there's one very strange bit. I have to say, I thought it was strange for a long time. And it's towards the end of Moses' life, actually. In um, Exodus 33, verse 18, we read this. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And do you know, for years, I couldn't understand it. I was I was actually cross with Moses, if it's possible to be cross with someone that lived 4,000 years ago. (laughs) But I was a bit cross with Moses. And and I thought, when I see him in heaven, I'm going to have a few words. Moses, how can you say, now show me your glory? If anyone has seen the glory of the Lord, it's Mo. Isn't it? I mean, just stop and think about it for a moment. Before he asks that question, just think about it. He encounters God at the burning bush. The bush does not burn up and God speaks to him from the burning bush. Now, just that would have been enough for most of us, wouldn't it? It would have done me for the rest of my life. I would have written the book, My Burning Bush Experience. There would have been a video series. There would have been Bible study notes. Everything. I mean, that would have done most of us. And then there was the plagues of Egypt. I mean, Moses had not just a front row seat, but he was involved. The Nile turning to blood. They thought the Nile was a god because it brought life. So what does God do? It was spiritual warfare. Kills the Nile. The plague of frogs, I love. (laughs) Because frogs, this is so great. This is so how very good God is. The frogs... The frogs were the god of fertility. They represented the god of fertility. So what does God do in the spiritual warfare? He turns the god of fertility into overdrive so that it's like everything. Isn't that brilliant? 
And, and Moses was involved in all those plagues. And then, and then there was, you know, the parting of the Red Sea as sea parts. That, how many would have been satisfied just with that? I would, I would have been telling the story for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah, I was there. I mean, it was amazing. It was these two walls of ocean and we walked through. And then not only, as soon as they walked through, the people are complaining because there's two million of them at that time, according to most theologians, most estimates. At that time, there was two million of them. And they were complaining, we're in a desert, we've got no water. So God says to Moses, hit this rock with your stick. And San Pellegrino comes out. By the litre. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, I thought for ages, it was a little bit of San Pellegrino came out and it was like <gasps> a cupful was squeezed out of this rock. It satisfied the thirst of two million people. It flooded out. And then the best miracle of all, the most amazing miracle, the most incredible miracle, the one that touches my heart the most. Never mind the burning bush. Never mind the parting of a sea. The manna coming down from heaven every day for six days. And the quail. And then twice as much just before the Sabbath. What a wonderful miracle. Oh, that I should have been alive in those days. And after all that, and I've left some out, after all that, after Moses has seen all the power of the Lord like no one else had seen, Moses then says, now show me your glory. And it's like, well, what else do you want him to do? What else? I mean, what, how much more? Don't be greedy. Leave some for the rest of us. Do you know how the Lord responds? Where Moses says, having seen all the power, now show me your glory. The Lord responds with these words. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Do you know, having seen all the power... When Moses then says, now show me your glory, the Lord answers with three words, three key words, goodness, mercy, compassion. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is his character. And whenever he displays his power, it is to reveal his character. He's not a show-off. He's not a, he's, it's not about, oh, it's, it's about, it's about revealing who he is. It's about revealing his amazing, unbelievable love. And over the last years, I have been on a journey where I just, you know, when, oh, loads of you are younger than me. You, you get to an age, well, when you've been doing this for years, you get to an age where you think, you know what? I've been reading the Acts of the Apostles and the stories of Jesus, and I, I want to see it. I want to see it before I die. And so I'm going to go for broke. 
And I felt the Lord say to me a few years ago, uh, and you know, and I've been, but what I'd done up until then was stayed within my comfort zone. You know, if, if I thought the Lord was speaking, I put it through the grid of what are the chances? How likely? What are the odds? Is it safe? Is it okay? And I'd be in control. And all the way through the scripture, it, 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 that's not how it works. And I made an agreement with the Lord. We, I made a promise to him that I would, if I thought he was speaking. See, what I'd done up until this point, if I, if I wasn't sure if it was him or not, because I wasn't sure, I wouldn't say it in case I was wrong. Now, if I'm not sure, I'll say it just in case I'm right. Because <laughs> if I don't say it, I'll never know if I'm wrong or not. But if I do say it, then I will know. And, you know, I had to come to a decision where my longing to see God move became greater than my fear of looking stupid and of failing. And you have to get to that point when you're longing to see him move. And do you know what? I spent most of my life looking stupid. I've, I've had so many failures. It doesn't faze me anymore. And so I said, if I think it's you, I'm going to go for it. And if I say it kindly, and if I say it humbly, then if I get it wrong, I might look a bit silly, but no one will get damaged. Because I've worked out, if I get it wrong, nobody dies. Well, no one has yet. But if I get it right, somebody has their life changed. And so I've been on this journey. And, and I'll just say one more thing. I used to think, you know, like, like that, this, that, that, that sort of stuff, it was reserved for holy people, spiritual people. You know, people who wore white suits and could take big offerings, you know. And, and I just discovered... It's not. It's, it's even for people who very, very occasionally struggle with their weight. <laughs> it's for people who don't always get it right, who aren't the most intelligent. You know, I, I, I used to lead my church on my own. And uh, for 23 years, I led it on my own. And then five years ago, they felt that I couldn't lead it on my own anymore. So they appointed this kid, this boy, this fetus, <laughs> to be joint senior pastor with me. And, and, and he's trying to elbow me out. I know he is. I can, I can feel it. And, 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 and the trouble is, he's, he's intelligent. He can structure a talk. I can hear him in my ear now saying, Mike, what are the points? Where are you going? Well, is there a, it's just a stream of consciousness. Get organized. And he got, he got a first-class honours degree in theology from Cambridge, and I got a driving license. <laughs> Second attempt. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's the truth. And I could easily feel inferior because, you know, they cheer him and they boo me. They do. I once got back, this is absolutely true, I once got back from uh, being away 
And I asked one of the older ladies in the church, a lady called Prue, in her 80s, I said, how was church on Sunday? And Prue said, oh, Mike, it was wonderful. She said, Andy Croft preached the best sermon we've had in this church for years. <laughs> and then I saw her face as she suddenly realized what she said. Oh, oh, oh no, your, your, your talks are very good as well. And I, I said, Prue, it's too late. The damage is done. And there's this genius who is also thin. And then there's me. And I just do, <laughs> just talk and talk until I've run out. But you know what? He's so kind. He's so flipping kind. And here's the message. And I know you know, because you've had the teaching as well. But he, can, he wants to use me. And he wants to use you. Well, most of you. <laughs> no, all of you. <laughs> That's a joke. He wants to use us because he loves his world. He loves his world. And, and we'll talk tomorrow morning about about a bit more about that, but I just can I just tell you a couple of stories, and then we're going to pray. Um, there's so many stories. I just, you know, I, I love these stories, and I'm not saying this in any way. I promise you, to boast, but except to boast in Him, because you know, every time, every time, I see Jesus do what Jesus does. He never ceases to amaze me. It never gets old. It never gets... It's amazing. It's amazing. There was this one time a couple of years ago um, when uh, we were in the uh, uh, meeting at Soul Survivor at our youth camp. And uh, I, I just felt the Lord in the middle of the meeting say, um, there's someone here who doesn't know me and who's been mocking and laughing at, um, at his friend. His friends brought him. He says he's an atheist and he's been teasing his friends and saying, this is stupid. There's no God. This is the, everyone's making this up. And uh, I felt the Lord say, and um, he's just prayed to me just now for the first time. And he said, God, if you're real, if this is true and you're there, could you speak to me? Could you show me? And um, and then the Lord said, oh, I forgot his name. What was the kid's name? Brian. Yes, well done. <laughs> They've heard the talk. <laughs> and, and, and then the Lord said to me, and this, and this boy's name is Brian. And when I say the Lord spoke to me, it, you know what it's like. It's not, I used to think it was, hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike. Are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. You know, it's, it's just, I thought it was that, and I was expecting that, but it's never like that. It's not like that. It, it's, it's kind of, the way it works with me is, oh, I just had a thought. Why would I have that thought? That was a funny thought to have. Could that be you, Lord? Or could it be indigestion? And in my case, it is sometimes, obviously, indigestion. But there's only one way I can know. So I was like, oh, oh, here we go. I made a promise. I didn't know. So I said, I think the Lord is saying there's someone here 
You've been, your friends invited you. You've been mocking everything that's going on. You've been teasing your friends. You've been saying there's no God. But just a moment ago, you prayed for the very first time. No one knows you prayed. And you just said, God, if you're really here, could you speak to me? Could you show me? And then I said, and your name is Brian. And I said, so Brian, come on, where are you? Where are you? He's answered your prayer, Brian. Immediately, this 15-year-old boy came to the front, sobbing, weeping. People gathered round him. They prayed for him. He gave his life to Jesus. And this is the bit I love. This is the bit I love. The next day, they told me he was walking around the campsite, going up to everyone, strangers, and he would go up to them and he would say, he knows my name. He knows my name. How about that? How about that for a testimony? He knows my name. He knows my name. And and you know what? If I ever, I didn't manage to meet Brian. I wish I had. But I would have, I would have said to him, of course he knows your name. Do you know how he, I know he knows your name? Because just in case he would forget your name, he's written your name down in secret. And all he'd have to do is, oh, I can't, I'm absolutely certain of it. Brian, your name is written on the palm of his hand. That's what it says. Where the nail mark is. That's where your name is engraved, Brian. That's why he knows your name. He'll never forget it. He sees the one in the crowd. The one in the crowd. Just this last summer, a stunning, stunning, well, two, two, there on the last night of um, one of the festivals, um, it was literally at the end. I, I just felt the Lord say, um, there's someone here um, who's dreading going home tomorrow uh, because their mum has a mental illness and is suffering from a mental illness. And they're saying, I just, I just don't think I can go out like this. I just need strength. I'm terri- I, I, can't, I can't face all the stuff anymore. And I said, if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. Could you just come forward? Uh, no, and, 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 and what the Lord said to me, and that person has just prayed, God, before I go, could you meet with me? They've just prayed. And I said, if that's you, your mum has a mental illness, and you just prayed, could you come forward? I was waiting for one person to come forward. To my horror, about 200 kids came forward immediately and they were wailing and I was like I I was confused I said to my friends I said to Andy you know the clever guy um and 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 Ali I said I said they can't that can't have happened to all of them to this day I don't understand except what I think is probably there were 200 who have a parent with mental illness and when they heard even if it wasn't exact they were coming forward because they were broken But here's the bit. I was confused because I thought the Lord said to me there was one person. The next morning, I went on to site as they were all leaving. And this youth leader came and found me and he said, thank goodness I found you. He said, that person, there was a girl in our group. She wasn't a Christian. 
Her friend, we invited her. Her friends invited her. She managed to get to the last night. And what we didn't, without giving her life to Jesus, and what we didn't know is last night she prayed for the first time. And she said, God, if you're really there, could you tell Mike about my mum's mental illness? A few seconds after she said that, I said what I said. She broke down. She gave her life to Jesus there and then. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the youth leader said, now we're all going to support her as she goes back. And she's going back a different girl. And I, every time, it's like, how did you do that, Lord? I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. It was only because I decided, if I'm not sure, I'll say it just in case it's right, rather than not say it in case it's not. Now, some of you, I've just told you two or three good stories so that you might be impressed. (laughs) But I want you to know, I've got a whole load of the other ones. I'm not going to tell you the other ones. (laughs) But I've got a whole... I'll just tell you one. I'll just tell you one. Because this is... is, I'll just tell you one. There was... Do you know the guys from Causeway Coast Vineyard, Mark Marks? Horrible people. (laughs) Horrible. Horrible. I'm going there in a few weeks to try and sort them out at their conference. And and that Mark Marks, I tell you, sometimes I could punch him. You know, he goes around, you know, he goes goes around with all these stories. Oh, I go out onto the streets and I have word, I pray for people to become healed and they come to the Lord and they. Right? After all that stories, I thought, I can't, let, I, I can't let him say all those stories, and I haven't got any. So I went out into Watford, and I felt the Lord say to me that I would see, that I would find a lady with a green coat and a limp, and I was to pray for her for, to be healed. I walked around for about two and a half hours looking for a lady with a green coat. Do you know how difficult it is? to find a lady with a green coat and limp well after two and a half hours I was so exhausted I wasn't sure I wanted to be a Christian anymore (laughs) and then in this very cheap store called Primark I saw a lady with a limp and a questionably green coat (laughs) but by this stage it was like I don't care (laughs) so I went in because I wanted to go home and my opening line was a disaster I went up to this lady in the middle of the ladies' fashion department in the corner. Me, this was a little lady, and I'm not a little person. And I went up to her, and my opening line was, I'm really not weird. (laughs) But I'm friends with Jesus, and I think he said to me that I was to look for a lady with a green coat and a limp and pray for her. And she looked at me, she shouted, she told me to F off, and she stormed off. That's the end of the story. It doesn't get any better than that. And I, I, I've got a lot more where that came from. But you know what? I'll have those. I'll have those for the others. I'll have those for the others. I've I, I just got to tell you one more, because <laughs> this is hilarious. I was, I, was in, um, I was in New Zealand, in Auckland, and we were doing a meeting in Auckland, and I felt God gave me a word. Um, there's, someone, there's someone here who feels called to go to Korea 
uh, as a missionary to go. Uh, to, you, you've got a heart for for North Korea, and this this young woman came forward, and I thought this was the early days, and I thought I'm getting good at this. That's pretty amazing. So they all started praying for her, and I was, and then I left and I started walking back to where I was staying, and I was like imagining, oh, I wish Wimber was here to see me. To be impressed. I wish, you know, gosh, that was incredible. I mean, there's going to be a missionary to Korea now because I, I went for it. Anyway, I just got to the place I was staying when one of my team, a guy called John, ran up to me panting. And he said, I had to catch you. I had to tell you. I had to tell you about that lady you had that word for, for Korea. And I thought, bless his heart. Yes, tell me the whole story. I'll put it in the book. And he said, and he, he started smiling with, with glee, with joy. And he, she, he said, the thing was, he said, she was French and she doesn't speak much English. So she came forward for prayer for her career. <laughs> and she couldn't understand why we were all trying to send her to Asia. <laughs> doesn't matter because we want to bless people because we want to love people and all that happened was you know every the next morning when we had the next meeting they told the story and everyone laughed at me and I thought it's okay I'm still alive we're gonna go for it last story and it's not mine no this is I promise I know it was before but this is the last story I lied before, but now I'm telling the truth, okay? Now I'm telling the truth. Settle down. Um, and, and this was from last summer. And just so that you know, God can use anyone, all right? This was our worship leader. I mean, a musician. You know, and, and in the meeting, our, our worship leader, he, Tom, he, he, he sent me a text. He said... I think I'm probably wrong, and immediately I thought, of course you're wrong, you're a musician, you idiot. <laughs> God speaks to us, not you. And you know how they say, you know, God gave me this song. <laughs> and some of us are thinking, I think he wants it back. <laughs> what a stupid thing to say, God gave me this song. <laughs> um, anyway, he said, I could be wrong here. But, I, but I, I think there's, there's someone here, um, there's a girl here who's pregnant and it's awful and she's feeling terrible and she's quite young and the Lord wants to say to her, even though she didn't plan the baby, he loves her baby and it will be all right. And I was like, uh, I don't think we're going to say that. No, 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 no. There's, there's, <laughs> we're going to... You know, we're not going there. And then I just felt the Lord say, why are you doing that? Why are you censoring that? It was like, oh, really? So I thought, well, I'm not going to be responsible for this. So I got Tom to say it himself. <laughs> well, so that the blame can go in the right place. Um, and he said it. And that, that one, we were too many to be in one room. So we had two venues. And there was... Um, 
And, and Andy was hosting the second venue, and it was video-linked. As soon as Tom said that, near the front, this girl ended up on the floor sobbing, and her youth leader was sobbing. And we found out afterwards that that girl, she got pregnant. She was 14. She was devastated. Her parents, who were Christians, but they were from a poor area and they didn't have any money, uh, the parents said, we're not, we are not looking after another baby. You're going to have to have an abortion. We can't afford it. We can't at our age. You can't look after this baby. And we're not going to. And then, um, just before Soul Survivor, um, she wasn't going to go. And then the father came to the parents, came to the youth leader, and told him in confidence the situation. And the father said, I just can't get it out of my head. I don't see how we could look after this baby. But I've told my daughter, okay, she can go to this Christian camp. And if God speaks clearly, then she can keep, we will keep the baby. But God has to speak clearly. She came. There was that word. She and the youth leader were on the floor. And just, I promise you, today, I've had an email of that baby with that baby's mother and the grandparents smiling, rejoicing, and the youth leader saying that one word turned a whole family's life around. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Mike tell his stories today. And one thing that really struck me from that talk was when Mike said, my longing to see God move became bigger than my fear of failure and looking stupid. And it's often our fears, isn't it, that stop us stepping out into all that God has for us. Mike also talked about getting it wrong a number of times. He said he'd rather have those experience, those perceived failures in exchange for all the times he'd seen God move through him and change people's lives. So the question we're left with today is, what are we willing to risk for God to use us? It may be we need to risk um, getting it wrong. It may be we need to risk feeling we might appear stupid. It may be we need to risk stepping out uh, of what we feel we're comfortable of normally doing. It may be we need to step out into believing God can do more than he has done through us in the past or what we've so far experienced God do through our own lives in the way that he can use us to touch other people's lives. So how hungry are we for God to use us? How hungry are we for God to come and speak to us and use us to touch other people's lives? How hungry are we to see other people changed by God's love and God's power? And perhaps as you watch this today, you're somebody who's not really fully experienced God's love. Uh, you're still on a journey. Mike talks about Moses wanting to see more of God. He asks God to reveal more of himself to, to Moses. And when God did that, he revealed some aspects of his character. He revealed his goodness, his mercy and his compassion. And this is the, the heart of God. This is the character of God. God loves you and wants to show more of his goodness to you. And so wherever you are today on your journey, God is saying, I have more for you. I have more for you to experience. I have more for you to encounter. I have more ways in which I want to use you. I have more 
for you to find out and discover about me. So with that in mind, let's just pray. Let's come before God and say, God, we want that more that you've got for us. So Heavenly Father, wherever we are on our journey with you, we thank you, God, that you want more for us. Your desire and your heart is to reveal more of yourself to us and, and, and work more through us to bring your love to other people. So God, wherever we are, we just say, God, we want more of you. We open our hearts to you today. We open our minds to you today and say, God, would you come? Would you lead us on? You're the God who leads. We're the, the, the people you call to follow. And God, we want to, we want to follow you, God, as fully as we can today. Would you give us your grace? Would you give us your love? Would you give us your power? And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.